Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us today. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website, www.cloroxhealthcare.com, and check out their latest spore defense for Clorox Total 360, helping you fight C. diff in places you couldn't reach before. Learn more about keeping environments safer with Clorox Healthcare. And today, we welcome our guest, Dr. Dale Gurdy, a, who, who is a world-renowned C. diff topic expert, and he's here to discuss C. diff infection prevention, treatments, clinical trials, and so much more. At this time, it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Gerding to our show. Welcome, Dr. Gerding. Well, thank you, Nancy, and it's good to be with you again. Oh, thank you. We are so appreciative of you being here today. And if you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes just to introduce yourself to our global audience. I'm an uh, infectious disease physician, um, academically uh, working in universities and the VA hospital system in the United States, and uh, currently based in Chicago, originally from Minnesota. Um, and I've been doing C. diff research since about the year 1980, so about 40 years now. And I'm um, still running my research lab at the Heinz VA Hospital in Chicago, and uh, I have uh, what's called a waiver from the federal government so that I can continue to do research uh, while I'm actually retired. And so I'm employed as something called a WOC. That means without compensation. And uh, I'm able to then uh, continue to do research and get research grants. And I'm uh, very grateful for having that waiver, which keeps me active in the C. diff field. Absolutely. Well, we're just so grateful for that, too, because we need all of your research and, and all of your uh, knowledge that helps keep the C. diff community alive and well. So we're really grateful for that, too, Dr. Gerding. And, you know, this is a really global um, audience and a lot of new uh, listeners today who really don't understand what C. diff is. Would you mind taking a moment just to introduce um, what C. diff is? Sure, and this is a somewhat unusual infection, but it's actually the most common healthcare-associated infection in the United States now, so more common even than staphylococcal infections or staph infections, as they're called. And it goes by the name C. diff, uh, which is short for currently uh, Clostridioides difficile, which is a long name, and you can see why people prefer to use C. diff. And it's a infection that comes as a result, interestingly, of taking antibiotics first. So normally we see an infection, we treat it with an antibiotic if it's a bacterial infection. In, the, in this case, we have some unintended consequences of that antibiotic use, and that is that we disrupt our normal bacteria that are in our gut. And when that happens, uh, we become susceptible to C. difficile infection. And that infection is acquired through ingesting or swallowing spores 
of this organism. And the spores are very um, durable and very able to resist drying and uh, all sorts of terrible environmental conditions. And they exist in the soil and the water, so they're pretty uh, ubiquitous. And if you've taken an antibiotic recently or or something that acts like an antibiotic, uh, proton pump inhibitors, for example, or uh, chemotherapy for cancer has also got antibiotic activity, then you can become susceptible to this infection. And, of course, when you're in a healthcare setting, particularly a hospital, the chance that you'll be given an antibiotic is very, very high. Over half the people in hospitals receive antibiotics. And your chance of picking up spores of the organism is very high because they contaminate the environment of the hospital, and they're very hard to get rid of because you have to use um, inordinate means of cleaning using bleach and ultraviolet light, other methods that are not ordinarily routine. So when you ingest the spores and um, you are susceptible, the spore uh, germinates to form live bacteria. These live bacteria then uh, grow to high levels in the colon. That's the distal part of the bowel. And in the colon, they start to produce something called toxins. These are analogous to poisons, basically. And these toxins, of which there are two major ones, um, destroy the cell surface of the colon and cause it to start to leak fluid. And the patient then experiences uh, diarrhea, which can be very severe. And there's an inflammation that goes along with this on the colon itself that in its advanced state is called pseudomembranous colitis. And that... uh, Pseudomembranous colitis, which is sometimes called PMC, is uh, very severe, and this colitis can be so severe that it can be fatal. Um, The disease is interestingly treated with another antibiotic, uh, which is given orally and is non-absorbed. The most common of those is called oral vancomycin, and it does resolve the infection, Um, with about 10 days of treatment. But unfortunately, people get this infection back within uh, a month or two, and um, about 25% of them will have a recurrence of C. diff infection, and some of them will have two and three and four episodes of recurrence. And this is uh, coupled with a mortality of about 5% in patients and the recurrence is really what makes this a devastating disease. And I should point out that the most susceptible patients to this disease are the most elderly who are in hospitals. So in some respects, this is analogous to the current COVID-19 or coronavirus outbreak, which is so devastating to our older um, uh, patients and particularly patients who reside in long-term care facilities. So that's kind of a summary, and, uh, and we can build on that from there if you have further questions. Exactly. Thank you so much, Dr. Gerding. Dr. Gerding, um, we, we receive a lot of questions about the antibiotics. Is there one group of antibiotics more uh, high, uh, have, that have a high risk more than others? Uh, there, there are some that are considered particularly high risk, and it began with... Um, 
uh, the first cases in the 1970s were associated with a uh, antibiotic called clindamycin. And um, clindamycin uh, came on the market in the late 60s, early 70s, along with a companion drug called lincomycin. And these cases first started to appear following the use of that drug. Uh, subsequent to that, uh, cases have been associated with a class of drugs called cephalosporins, which is a, constitutes a very large number of different uh, antibiotics in that class. And then most recently, a, a group of drugs called fluoroquinolones, uh, of which ciprofloxacin is the major member, uh, have been associated with uh, C. diff infections. And there's always been a background of, of susceptibility to uh, certain kinds of penicillins as well. And so those are the major classes of, of antibiotics, and they constitute probably, uh, uh, I would say, over half of the antibiotics that are commonly used. So so it's um, it's pretty common to be exposed to a antibiotic that will put you at risk. And there are no antibiotics that are totally safe. Some classes uh, have very, very low risk. Uh, the class that I'm thinking of is tetracyclines, very commonly used. Um, doxycycline being one of the most common antibiotics that's used orally and in the community has very little risk. And Another uh, group called uh, trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, otherwise known as Bactrim or Septra, commonly used for urinary tract infections, also is fairly low risk. So I hope that's helpful. That's very helpful. Thank you so much, Dr. Gerding. And um, I know a lot of patients who are post-C. diff, uh, they fall into having another infection and they are prescribed another antibiotic to treat the infection. And this is where it's becoming um, almost like a, a seesaw. Yes, you do. No, you don't. But we tell them, as um, I'm sure you can uh, you know, weigh in on this, is when there is an infection, a bacterial infection, it still needs to be treated, correct? Uh, that's correct, especially if it's a serious infection. You know, things like pneumonia and serious skin infections, even uh, severe urinary tract infections need to be treated. Um, we recommend that the treatment be as brief as possible, and we try to treat those infections with the, the least risk of, of aggravating C. diff infection as well. Okay. And Dr. Gerding, isn't it true that C. diff is part of our environment? It sure is. <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, samples have been taken from multiple sites in the environment, and, uh, and you can find it in uh, fresh water. Uh, you can even find it in swimming pools, amazingly, because these spores are, uh, are resistant to chlorine in the swimming pools. You can find it in soil samples. It's even been found in uh, at very low levels in some foods, particularly uh, root vegetables, um, lettuce, and uh, and some meats. So we're probably being exposed to spores of C. diff virtually on a daily basis. I would say. 
Um, but I think the risk of exposure in a healthcare facility is greater, largely because uh, you have so many patients who have C. diff in that healthcare environment, and they shed the C. diff organism into the environment. So you have a contaminated environment, and then in addition, healthcare workers, if they don't follow good hand hygiene, uh, that is, wear gloves or wash their hands, uh, can spread the infection to other pa- or to patients in the healthcare setting. Uh, one of the things we've learned is that uh, alcohol hand hygiene is not effective in uh, reducing spores on the hands of uh, healthcare workers, and so hand washing has to be done in order to get the spores off the hands. Exactly. Thank you so much, Dr. Gerding. And right now, it is time to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing C. diff infection prevention, treatment, clinical trials, and much more with our guest, Dr. Dale Gerding. Please stay tuned, and we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Join us on Saturday, November 14th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time for the 8th Annual International C. diff Virtual Conference and Health Expo. For details and to register, please visit cdiff2020.com. Again, that's cdiff2020.com. Or contact the C. diff Foundation at 727-205-3922. We look forward to meeting you online on November 14th and meeting you in person in November 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we have our guest, Dr. Dale Gerding, who's joining us today to discuss C. diff prevention, treatment, clinical trials, and so much more. And at this time, we'd like to welcome our guest back to the show. Welcome back, Dr. Gerding. Pleased to be here. Well, thank you, and we are so grateful for you being here. And Dr. Gerding, before the commercial break, you were kind enough to introduce and to have an overview of Clostridium clostridiotes difficile, which is also known as C. diff. And at this time, we want to like talk to you more about the healthcare-acquired infection. 
And this is a true leader of healthcare-acquired infections. We know that. But is it true that an individual can acquire this infection outside of the hospital setting? Well, it sure is. Um, I, I used to, when I first started doing C. diff research back in the 1980s, uh, feel that this was almost exclusively a healthcare-associated infection, about 90% of all of our patients were acquiring this infection in the hospital. And, of course, hospital length of stay then was considerably longer. Patients were staying in the hospital for 10 days or more. And so it was uh, thought that this was really almost exclusively a healthcare infection. As time has gone on and as um, healthcare has shifted from the hospital to the outpatient setting, we are increasingly seeing patients acquire C. diff in the, in the community, either through outpatient exposure to healthcare, which we know occurs now. For example, uh, uh, it's common now to have outpatient surgery, for example, and to have um, colonoscopy or endoscopy done as an outpatient, whereas those sorts of things were always done inpatient back in the 1980s. So greater exposure to um, healthcare procedures as outpatients has led, I believe, to increasing numbers of C. diff cases that are being reported in the community population. Now, even though we say they're community-associated, it's been shown by CDC that about 90% of these uh, people have had healthcare exposure of one kind or another in the community uh, prior to uh, getting their C. diff infection. So even though it's community associated, there's always that component of healthcare exposure. And healthcare exposure uh, makes you susceptible to C. diff for two reasons. One is it increases the chance that you will be given an antibiotic prescription. And number two, it increases the possibility of being exposed to C. diff in that healthcare environment. So we are seeing um, almost as many cases in the community now as we see associated uh, with the healthcare system. Uh, and that's kind of interesting. I would have predicted that we would not see that, but I think I uh, misjudged how much of healthcare has shifted from inpatient to outpatient uh, treatment, and as a result, the C. diff uh, risk seems to be moving in that direction as well. Um, the risk of uh, getting C. diff uh, associated with uh, inpatient exposure is still higher than it is in the community, but that risk has been declining over the last five years or so. And so we're seeing fewer healthcare-associated infections in hospital inpatients, and we're seeing more in the community, but the community rate is about flat right now. It, it seems to be steady, not changing a whole lot, uh, and is uh, just below the rate that we're seeing cases in uh, hospitalized patients right now. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gerding. Dr. Gerding, uh, are the emergency departments, um, when they receive a patient uh, coming in with symptoms of a CDI, uh, are they testing for a C. diff infection upon arrival into the 
emergency room? Well, I think they are if if the uh, symptoms that the patient is experiencing are consistent with uh, a C. diff. And usually we try to take a history of antibiotic exposure previously. Also, uh, uh, good to know whether the patient has had C. diff previously because uh, recurrence is so common. And uh, many of the tests now for diarrhea uh, are called something called multiplex PCR testing, which includes C. diff in that multiplex PCR, which also tests for many, many other uh, diarrhea pathogens. So in the community, it's much harder to differentiate C. diff from other common causes of diarrhea in the community, uh, like E. coli or salmonella or shigella or norovirus, which are all common in the community. So this multiplex testing, which can be done very quickly, um, is most likely the way that uh, the diagnosis is being made for someone coming in from the community with diarrhea. Okay. And Dr. Gerding, um, the IDSA guidelines, is there an algorithm for testing for a C. diff infection? Uh, there is, and there are two major ways of diagnosing C. diff. One is to actually try to detect these toxins that I mentioned earlier in the stool itself, and, and those are called uh, enzyme immunoassays uh, for the toxin. Uh, those uh, tests can be done directly on stool. They can be done fairly rapidly, and the other uh, mechanism for testing is to actually look for the genes in the organism itself that are responsible for toxin production. So that's, that's called detection of the C. diff organism itself and detection that it is a toxigenic strain, one that makes toxin. Uh, that is a very sensitive test and it has been criticized as being too sensitive and picking up patients who are asymptomatically colonized with C. diff but having diarrhea from some other cause. The toxin itself is considered to be more specific for C. diff infection, but the test is not real sensitive. And so it's possible that you'll miss people with the toxin test and it's possible that you'll overdiagnose with the PCR test. So that leads us then to your question about algorithms, and an algorithm is nothing more than a sequence of testing that can be done on patients to try to better define who has the C. diff infection. And um, in the recommendation and the guideline, it's a fairly complicated, but the recommendation is that if someone is just randomly being tested for uh, C. diff and you have no discrimination about how many stools they've had or for how long they've had it, that you use a toxin test because it's simply more specific, even though not quite as, as sensitive. So including a toxin test in your algorithm would mean that you could do a test called GDH, uh, glutamate dehydrogenase, which just detects the organism, and then you follow that with a test for toxin. And the, if the toxin is positive, then 
that means the patient has um, C. diff infection. If you don't uh, follow an algorithm, you can just do PCR testing alone, and that's actually the most common way diagnosis is made in, uh, in U.S. hospitals. And the PCR alone probably will overdiagnose uh, some patients, uh, and it has been criticized for that reason. And rates of C. diff, if you're using toxin testing, will be about 50% as high as the rates that you will be detecting using PCR. Unfortunately, we don't have the ideal test, which um, we're still working on and trying to find a test that will better define who specifically uh, has uh, C. diff infection. And the uh, test development is moving in the direction of what's called ultra-sensitive testing for toxin in the stool. But presently, we have none of those ultra-sensitive tests available on the market as yet. Okay. Thank you so much for explaining all that, Dr. Gerning. And oh, another common question we receive is, when the symptoms are resolved, does that mean my infection is gone? Yeah, unfortunately, it does not. Um, we use symptom resolution as the endpoint for treatment. So we'd lo- we want the patient's diarrhea to stop and have no more symptoms. But unfortunately... Um, about 60% of people who have been successfully treated to resolve their symptoms will still have C. diff in their stool. And that C. diff can come back and grow up to high levels and result in a recurrence of a C. diff diarrhea. And, and this usually happens within the first two or three weeks of uh, stopping therapy. So... Uh, that's, that's the critical period, the first uh, two to three weeks after you've been treated for C. diff, during which um, a recurrence might happen. If you can get through the first month, two months, three months, then the chance that you're going to have a recurrence is, is probably very, very low. But one of the things that can result in a recurrence is having to take another antibiotic for a different infection. If that happens, then the risk of uh, having a recurrence of C. diff uh, it really goes up markedly. And, and so we try to caution our patients not to take antibiotics unless absolutely necessary. Exactly. And Dr. Gerning, at this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing C. diff infection prevention, treatments, clinical trials, and much more with our guest, Dr. Dale Gerning. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Join us on Saturday, November 14th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time for the 8th Annual International C. diff Virtual Conference and Health Expo. For details and to register, please visit cdiff2020.com. Again, that's cdiff2020.com. Or contact the C. diff Foundation at 727-205-3922. We look forward to meeting you online on November 14th and meeting you in person in November 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel. 
To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff spores and more, and we thank you for joining us today. Today we welcome our guest, Dr. Dale Girding, um, a, a world-renowned C. diff topic expert. And he's here today to discuss C. diff infection prevention treatments, clinical trials, and so much more with you and with all of us. And it's a pleasure right now to welcome back Dr. Girding to the show. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Girding. Thanks, Nancy. You are so welcome. Dr. Girding, thank you so much for being here. And before the commercial break, you were kind enough to discuss all of the different tests and the testing available for uh, C. diff infection um, diagnosis. And this um, is a really great time to talk about clinical trials. Would you be able to introduce clinical trials to our global audience? I'll certainly try. Um, Clinical trials are conducted in, in the process of getting a new drug approved uh, by the FDA in the U.S. or by the uh, EU in, uh, in Europe or, or in other countries uh, in order to demonstrate that the new treatment is both safe and also effective in treating the disease in question, in this case, uh, C. diff infection. And so clinical trials uh, are usually done in a, in a way that compares the drug that is, is being tested either to a drug that we already have so that you can see whether it's better than existing drugs or at least as good, or it's compared to a placebo in the event that there is no treatment agent uh, suitable for comparison. And the placebo... It simply uh, looks like the drug product, but you can't tell uh, the drug product from the placebo itself, uh, so it has no activity. And these studies in, normally are done in what's called a double-blinded and randomized fashion, so that double-blind means that the patient doesn't know whether they're receiving the treatment and the doctor administering it does not know if they're receiving the treatment or not. And 
randomized, meaning that there's a a complete random assignment of the treatment versus the placebo or the standard treatment. So uh, this way, you remove a lot of the biases that we all have. So if you think drug A is better than drug B and you know which drug you're taking, the chances are you'll do better on drug A than you will on drug B. But if you don't know what drug you're taking, we have a much better chance of assessing your outcome. So so what's going on right now in C. diff? Well, there are new antibiotics being evaluated. One that is um, most advanced is ridinilazole, and it is in what's called phase three trials, and those are the final uh, clinical uh, treatment trial to get uh, approved for licensing. So this is called phase three, and normally two trials are done, and the drug has to be demonstrated to be safe and effective in both of those trials. So ritonilazole has a, a lower recurrence rate uh, than current therapies, uh, possibly comparable to what we have with fedaxomycin. So it is in a trial comparing it to oral vancomycin, which has become a standard of treatment. And we probably will have a result from that trial within the next two years. Uh, other treatments, though, non-antibiotic are being developed on multiple fronts. One that has already been approved is a what's called a monoclonal antibody uh, with the name bezlotuximab. It is um, <clears throat> in the marketplace and available not for treatment of a C. diff infection, but for prevention of recurrence specifically. And it has been shown to reduce recurrence rates, which in the placebo group were about 27% down to 17%, so a absolute reduction of 10% in the recurrence rate. It is given intravenously, um, which is potentially a drawback because you have to have an IV hooked up and have it administered, uh, and its protection lasts uh, six months to a year uh, in terms of preventing recurrence. So, so Bezlotuximab is already available, having gone through successfully two of these very large phase three trials. Another front on which uh, prevention of recurrence is, is being evaluated is something called fecal microbiota transplants. And these uh, products are obtained from healthy uh, donors of stool who have been screened very carefully to rule out any contaminating bacteria in the stool. And these uh, fecal transplants can be given by enema. They can be given uh, by a colonoscopy procedure. And most recently, they are being packaged into capsules that can be given orally. And quite a few of them are under evaluation in uh, phase three and phase two trials right now. And you can read about them on a website called clinicaltrials.gov. They all appear to be effective in reducing the recurrence rate, but there have been some issues uh, which the FDA has alerted us to of infections being transmitted by these fecal transplants uh, that have resulted in uh, increased vigilance and increased testing of the donors 
to try to avoid that. So, for example, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, there were several cases of what's called multi-drug-resistant bacteria that had gotten transmitted in a fecal transplant to recipients who were quite immunosuppressed and caused uh, them to have a bloodstream infection with these bacteria, and one of these patients uh, uh, died. So FDA has increased the testing required of the donors to try to avoid that. More recently, there have been FDA uh, report that um, some E. coli specimens commonly found in fecal transplants uh, make uh, something called Shiga toxin, which can cause diarrhea in, in the recipient, or are called enteropathogenic E. coli and can cause diarrhea in the recipient. And they have issued a caution again about testing for those two uh, pathogens in the stool of donors uh, and um, and not approving the stool donation if they're present. And most recently, because coronavirus COVID-19 has been found in the stool of some patients, the FDA put a hold on fecal transplants on any specimen donated after December 1st of 2019 because of the possibility that you could transmit uh, coronavirus by fecal transplant. Now, this has never occurred, uh, but the FDA is now, for the first time, looking at procedures to start to lift uh, that hold on fecal transplant uh, and figure out ways in which they can protect the recipient against uh, coronavirus by testing of the donors. So, so that's uh, fecal transplant. There are other um, preparations of bacteria derived from fecal transplants that are also being tested. These are actually manufactured in laboratories rather than coming from a, a stool donor. And as a result, you can avoid many of the complicating bacteria by manufacturing these bacteria in the laboratory. So there are preparations that contain 8 to 12 different uh, uh, spore-forming uh, clostridial species that are being transplanted uh, uh, orally, again, in capsule form. And these are under evaluation also in um, uh, clinicaltrials.gov, and you can read about those trials there. Uh, one uh, method that I am interested in because I developed it is the use of, uh, of C. difficile itself as a preventive uh, in patients who have C. diff infection. And this particular strain of C. difficile does not make any toxins, but it is uh, very good at colonizing the gut. And so if it can be uh, administered orally to patients, it will colonize the colon and prevent the patient from uh, getting it infected with a toxigenic strain of C. diff. And, and this has been tested through uh, phase two, and it looks both safe and effective in preventing recurrence. So that's just one additional uh, approach that is, is under evaluation right now. And I should complete this by mentioning that Vaccines are being developed as well, and the vaccine uh, that is furthest along has finished its phase three trial and is currently evaluating the 
frequency of C. diff infection in the patients in the trial. So if that's successful, um, we would then have a vaccine available, which we hope uh, would be particularly helpful for elderly patients in order to prevent them from uh, getting C. diff infection. So that's kind of a brief, quick oversight over what treatment uh, availability there is, both on the market and also in trials. That's wonderful. Thanks so much, Dr. Gerding. And Dr. Gerding, is there a list of antibiotics that uh, the physicians are are ordering and prescribing for patients with C. difficile? Yeah, the most most uh, recent guideline has um, has narrowed down the treatment to just two: uh, oral vancomycin and cadaxomycin, um, which uh, are both approved for C. diff treatment. And from the guideline was removed metronidazole, which had been used previously. And I have to say that I was among the first uh, to recommend metronidazole in, in a trial that we did. It looked very effective back in 1983. But as the years went by, it became apparent that metronidazole was less and less effective in treating C. diff. And in the most public, recent published guideline, we have removed metronidazole as a treatment recommendation from the guidelines simply because we don't think it is as effective as vancomycin or fidaxomycin. So right now, two main drugs are being used for treatment, uh, oral vancomycin and fidaxomycin. Initially, both recommended to be given for just 10 days, but if you have a recurrence, you may find that your physician will ask you to do something called tapering and pulse dosing of vancomycin, which simply means that you reduce the dose week by week and then eventually go on every other day and maybe every third day uh, taking vancomycin until you stop in an effort to try to reduce uh, the incidence of uh, further recur- uh, recurrence. You can also uh, do the same thing with fidaxomycin, and you can administer the fidaxomycin either for 10 days or you can administer it twice a day for five days and then follow that by every other day uh, for an additional uh, 25 days. So uh, there are multiple tricks available for how to manage uh, recurrent C. diff uh, when patients have this. But right now, we don't have any kind of good controlled clinical data on what works best for treating recurrence, which is uh, very unfortunate. And I think we'll eventually come up with a treatment regimen that is probably going to be based on uh, on either fecal transplants or live bacterial organisms uh, in order to... Um, successfully manage these recurrences. Exactly. Thanks so much, Dr. Gerding. And right now we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing in uh, C. diff infection prevention, treatment, clinical trials, and much more with our guest, Dr. Dale Gerding. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you done any of these things today? 
exited a restroom, entered and exited a patient's room, visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we welcome our guest, Dr. Dale Gerding, who's here and discussing C. diff infection prevention, treatment, clinical trials, and much more with us. It's a pleasure to welcome back our guest, Dr. Gerding. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to the show. Pleased to be here. No, thanks so much, Dr. Gerding. And Dr. Gerding, this is our last segment before we close the show. And there is so much information that you, you know, continuously share with uh, all everyone around the globe. And is there anything, one specific important, I know they're all important, but is there one specific thing you'd like to share with um, our listeners today? Well, I think, um, you know, one of the lessons I've learned certainly that uh, I think in the probably my first 20 years of being a physician I didn't understand was that antibiotic treatment has some downsides to it. And, uh, you know, we've always been concerned that overuse of antibiotics would lead to more resistance in bacteria. But now it's clear that it also uh, disrupts our normal bacteria in our gut. And as a result of that, we become susceptible to C. diff infections. And it's uh, remarkable that this infection, which really was not identified until about 1978, has really come to dominate uh, healthcare infections now. And I think people are particularly becoming more concerned about taking antibiotics and and uh, about the possibility that it will make them susceptible to C. diff. So I would say the, the most important thing to, to do is when you're administered a prescription for an antibiotic to ask your prescribing physician, is this something that I really need or is this just in case? And I think most of the infections that we encounter are viral in origin, and antibiotics uh, really have little or no place in their treatment. But uh, some infections clearly need antibiotic treatment. Urinary tract infections, for example, uh, clearly are 
benefiting from antibiotic treatments. So um, I think just be aware of the fact that an antibiotic may not be completely benign in terms of its uh, side effects. And when you need it, it's the best thing you could possibly take. Um, Antibiotics are fabulous in terms of uh, their ability to cure bacterial infections. And we probably would be far, far behind in in our society if we hadn't had antibiotic development. But you need to do uh, use them in a way uh, that's appropriate for the infection. And that's the only thing I would recommend keeping in mind because uh, C. diff infection is one of the worst infections patients have ever described to me. And I said this before, but I had a patient who had just come out of open-heart surgery and acquired C. diff infection within a few days afterward. And uh, and he said, this this is much worse than surgery. He said, I'd go through surgery anytime before having a C. diff infection again. So um, just be aware of the possibility of side effects from antibiotic treatment and, and be aware of... Uh, potential for C. diff infection, because uh, it's something we'd all like to avoid. Absolutely, Dr. Gerding. And I just want to uh, add this one little note, and that's November 18th to 24th. It is the CDC's annual U.S. Antibiotic Awareness Week, and you can learn more about their program and how you can get involved at by visiting their website, cdc.gov. And Dr. Gerning, is there any other way besides antibiotic um, awareness and using it properly, virus versus bacteria, but there are there any other ways that we can prevent acquiring a C. diff infection? Well, we certainly can use good uh, hygiene, and, uh, and that means, you know, washing your hands frequently. I, I would say the parallel with uh, coronavirus is... is it applies to C. diff as well, um, except that you, you need to do hand washing for prevention of C. diff. And you can, um, you know, in hospitals, we clearly are, are spending a great deal of time trying to clean up the environment as well. And that involves, though, using bleach. And bleach uh, can be damaging to the environment. So you have to be a little bit careful about how you do that uh, if, you, if you're thinking about doing it in the home. And we think the risk in the home is exceedingly low for uh, contact with, uh, with C. diff. But good hand hygiene is, is really uh, very important, I think. Um, we still do not know exactly how patients pick up C. diff in the community, but because it's so commonly present, uh, we think it's it's probably being um, acquired either through water or soil or uh, even possibly food, although that's never been documented as a source for a C. diff infection. So I hope that's helpful. Um, wash your hands. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. And Dr. Gerding, um, a healthcare uh, acquired infection, and we know that C. diff is not the only one on that list. Um, can you name a couple of other um, healthcare acquired infections? These are infections you can only get in the hospital, correct? 
Um, yes, well, not only in the hospital, but uh, healthcare infections, these are the ones that you get if you're in the hospital, uh, but you can also get them in the community. So like C. diff, you can get it in the hospital or you can get it in the community. And uh, the other major category is staphylococcal infections, and those infections are um, found in the community as well as in the hospital. So staph infection, which uh, used to be a common term and still is, uh, is is one of the most common healthcare infections. There's other common bacteria like streptococci that can be acquired in the hospital as well as in the community, but streptococci are actually more common in the community. Those are the uh, organisms that cause uh, strep throat. And urinary tract infections can be acquired in the hospital, particularly if patients are using catheters in their bladder. Um, but urinary tract infections are very common in the community as well, particularly in women. And uh, these bacteria that cause these infections are largely what's called E. coli, Escherichia coli, uh, and they um, cause uh, infection both in the hospital, so they're healthcare associated, as well as uh, in the community. So infections uh, can be acquired in, in both the community and in uh, in the healthcare setting, and we just call them healthcare associated when you happen to be in the healthcare setting when you get the infection. Okay. Well, thank you so much for letting everyone know and sharing that great information, Dr. Gerding. And right now, we want to just thank you for so much for joining us today on C. Diff Spores and More. We are so grateful for your dedication in the healthcare and health community, and we thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Well, thank you. We look forward to having you back again, too, in the near future. And at this time, the members of the C. Diff Foundation would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Please visit their website, www.cloroxhealthcare.com, to learn more about their products. We wish to acknowledge the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health through research and development of new products to address C. difficile infection prevention treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, clinical trials, diagnostics, and environmental safety. Worldwide. To learn more about clinical trials focused on C. diff infections and recurrent C. diff prevention and treatments, please visit the C. diff foundation's website www.cdifffoundation.org and we ask you to help them to help you to help others to learn more about upcoming events that you will not want to miss out on please visit Cdiff Foundation's website our gratitude goes out to Vedanta Biosciences for being the diamond sponsor of this year's global virtual Cdiff Awareness Walks www.cdiffwalk2020.com and Series Therapeutics for being the diamond sponsor of this year's annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo, which will be virtual this year at cdiff2020.com. I'm your host, Nancy Corella, with a reminder that none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. together.